We'd like to thank our patrons for supporting this show, including our newest patrons, Madison Legon and the great Aaron Mansfield. If you enjoy the show and are able to give a couple bucks to help support it, visit patreon.com slash coach your brains out and join the team. So we just finished a series with Karch Karai on passing, and since there's no such thing as too much Karch, here's an older episode we did from 2016 of Karch Karai talking about leadership. We think you'll enjoy it. Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond. With your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen. Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out. I'm Billy Allen. I'm John Mayer. And I'm Andrew Fuller. And today's topic is on leadership and who better than Karch Karai. Our show only lasts an hour, so we won't be able to list all of Karch's accolades. He's won a lot as a player, which is the understatement of the year, and as a coach. And he's done it all while being a great teammate, ambassador for the sport, and a great human being. We're super lucky to have you on the show. Karch, thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Been enjoying a lot of your podcasts over the years. You are committed to learning. I am too. And so uh, I love listening to a lot of your guests. Always something good to learn there. And hopefully I get to do some learning today. That's awesome to hear. To get into our topic, like Andrew said, leadership, just start out by defining what good leadership means to you. Uh, I guess the way I would think of it is that we as leaders are trying to influence people to influence them to be better learners, uh, to facilitate that learning, to influence them to do more of the the behaviors that we think are going to help the team that we're coaching have more success and to do less of the behaviors that we think will, uh, I guess, be obstacles to our success. So really... Most in, uh, most importantly, we're trying to influence people around us, and I think of it as a as a servant type of leadership that we're here to try to facilitate them be becoming the best version of themselves and helping influence them in that direction. I like it, Karch. How long did it take you to kind of arrive at that definition? Uh, I think it's one that has evolved and continues to evolve. And um, especially since I, I played at a high level for a long time, and then I had to essentially start over as a coach uh, in around 2007, 2008, just as I was retiring from the AVP. But in coaching years, I'm quite young. And so uh, I guess that could be thought of as a disadvantage. I haven't even coached uh, for 10 years, really. Uh, all of my peers internationally have coached, almost all of them have coached far longer than I have. And then I also know I'm swimming upstream a little because uh, it's uh, probably more out of the norm than in the norm. The generality is that people who've had a lot of success as players, as athletes, as teammates, tend not to make great coaches. And so I've uh, actually, it's been a a great ride um, starting this learning process over again. And so that definition evolves and uh, I look everywhere to, uh, to learn more and become better. And there, you know, um, everything we do in life is in teams. And so anytime we can make people around us better, we can influence them 
to help them uh, and facilitate their development, then we're going to find success, whether it's coaching, teaching, um, being a dad or a husband, um, whatever team we're on, whether it's family or sports or business, um, we we can make people around us better. And Karch, um, talking about leadership, you mentioned you introduced us to this book, Turn the Ship Around by David Marquette. He talks about creating leaders rather than forging followers. How do you give your players control and create leaders on your team? Well, yeah, there's a a few books. Uh, I'm sure you guys do plenty of reading. I like to also, especially in the off seasons. And so I get recommendations for books and a couple of really influential ones for me have been as you mentioned, Turn the Ship Around, which is by David Marquet. And he was a uh, um, an officer in the Navy, and he took over a submarine that was the worst performing ship in the fleet or the worst performing submarine in the fleet and helped facilitate a, a turnaround to become essentially the best. And uh, one of the things he learned in that book was um, that it was a lot more effective. The people who know their jobs best, better than he did uh, in some ways uh, or in lots of ways, was to um, give control instead of take control, uh, in, typically in the Navy and for lots of volleyball teams. Coaches think of it as a, as a hierarchical thing and it's uh, everything comes from the top and goes down and everybody below is just waiting to be told what to do. And that got his submarine in some real trouble. And he had an epiphany when he gave an order that was uh, because he got assigned to a different submarine and he gave an order that wasn't even it was impossible to uh, to execute. And people were too afraid to tell him um, what what was applicable to that ship. And so uh, certainly we uh, with our program, with the USA team, we um, we want to think we want everybody who's involved with that to think of it as a collaboration. And that especially goes with our players because they are the ones who have to make the real time decisions. They have to see what's going on on the court, uh, as I had to for many years and make uh, good and fast decisions to help the team uh, be in the right spots and make the right play. So we try to um, involve them a lot in this process of development and ask for feedback and um, and give a lot of reinforcement. And so uh, we feel like um, this leads when you can give some kind of control up instead of having control. If you encourage critical thinking instead of compliance, as he, w- he talks about in the book, and uh, look for more deliberate action instead of impulsive reaction, uh, you're going to have people who are really excited to go to work as hard as the, as difficult as the work is. When people feel like they have more control, um, they tend to be more uh, excited about look uh, at the about the next challenge, whether it's tomorrow in the practice gym or whether it's weeks or months or years from now at a tournament. That's awesome. And continuing to learn is such a big part of that. And uh, Marquet says that thinking we know something is a barrier to continuing learning. And Karch is someone who people would think at this point knows about as much as you can know about volleyball, how do you continue to learn and how do you improve your leadership as a coach? 
uh, by asking questions, um, by asking questions of our players, by visiting other coaches' gyms, by talking to other coaches, by listening to podcasts like yours, by reading. There's always something to be learned, especially from people who study on uh, about things like human behavior and human performance and uh, and how we get more of um, of some things that we feel might might help the team and how we get less of of others. So I don't know that there's any place where I can't learn even if it means walking into, uh, and I don't do uh, much in the way of recruiting, unlike lots of college coaches, but it's pretty easy to walk into a place where there's junior players going, uh, maybe they're training, and if only to learn, hmm, I don't think that's going to be a really effective uh, activity, or it's not structured in a way that's going to make my team better. But, oh, I like that over there, and I, I really like the way that that coach is involving his players uh, or her players, uh, both young girls and boys, in, in the process of development. I kind of want to hit on that, just go a little deeper. You know, for for players, we can watch film of ourselves and see, you know, the flaws and and, you know, pick out the areas we need to improve. It, have you found anything like that for coaching? Like after a practice, how do you, you know, how do you see yourself in reality and improve upon yourself? Um, well, I certainly like to have um, coaching mentors. I'm guessing all of you do too. I love it when they have some time to maybe uh, visit our gym and just watch and listen and watch our players when I'm speaking, watch me and how I carry myself, um, how I interact with, with uh, everybody that's a part of our team. And that doesn't just mean our athletes, but it means our staff. And, uh, and I'm always open to feedback um, on how I can be better in, uh, in helping lead, in helping influence people to become better versions of, of themselves tomorrow than they were today. So certainly um, I'm blessed to have some, some good mentors. Uh, I haven't gone the way that I know some coaches have. Some coaches actually will wear a microphone, uh, like a wireless microphone, and record their whole practice. And so then they have video and audio of themselves, and they might go over it with a mentor or um, uh, somebody they know from a different field of expertise to get some other ideas on how they can be the most impactful for their group. So then I know you define leadership in kind of a, a different way than maybe we typically see it, but I think you're still probably viewed as, as the boss, the CEO, I don't know, however you want to put it. Do you find it's hard to take feedback when, you know, people that you respect or giving you maybe critical feedback? How do you handle that? Uh, I think it can be. I mean, um, uh, somebody that we all know, Tom Black, who has been a member, uh, a great member of our USA staff uh, officially for the last four years and for several years before that. But um, he, he will talk about how even feedback delivered the worst, most brutal, meanest, most degrading way possible, somebody who's more about learning will look for a nugget in there or will look 
Um, and that's something I'll do, like whether it's coaching or I also do some television work. There are going to be people out there who hate the job that I do uh, as coach. There are going to be people who hate the work I do as a TV analyst. And so uh, I could just reject that or I could at least say, all right, well, what do they have to say? Is there any grain of truth there? Is there something in here that can make me better? And so that's the uh, rather than get really defensive, which is easy to do. I, uh, sometimes we all have to resist that temptation. I try to dig a little deeper, uh, even in the face of criticism, even in the face of harsh criticism. And Karch, you mentioned creating a team environment where it's okay for you to be questioned. Um, what else does a player's leadership role look like on your team, ideally, and also for assistant coaches? Well, I guess um, to be able to influence people around you, uh, you have to have uh, you have to be thought of, I think, as being able to lead yourself. And so, um, in some ways, every single player in our program is a leader because, first of all, she has to be able to lead herself. And when she does that well, and she makes lots of good choices then she can be a matter, uh, more effective in influencing those around her uh, or around him for men's teams. Uh, but we have a leader. We've had a leadership council the last, uh, well, for all four years that I've coached as head coach for the USA team. And for the last couple of years, that leadership council was um, Krista Harmado Dietzen, our uh, captain, and Alicia Glass, our starting setter. And uh, Tama Miyashiro, who was one of our Libros, and Courtney Thompson, one of our setters. And so we had at uh, typically we'd have weekly meetings where we would uh, just check in and I'd just say, you know, how do you think things are going here? Uh, what's the general oh, energy level of the group? What's the general mood of the group? Um, how are we doing for you all? Are, are, are we what could we be doing better? Um, and sometimes I'll get answers and sometimes I don't, but certainly we're soliciting feedback on, um, on ways that we can be better and, uh, also giving them feedback on ways that they might be, um, better influencers of the group or give them some guidance and suggestions on maybe people that they could, uh, individually check in with and, um, uh, or, you know, say, whoa, you know, she seemed like she really had a rough day yesterday. What do you think was going on there? Who who do you think might be the best person to um, be a leader for for that player to uh, to be a positive influence, to dig a little deeper and see how she's uh, how she's doing and what's going on? Things like that. And then how is that leadership council or, or the captains on your team? How are they picked? Uh, the first year or two, we had some, uh, essentially some elections, some votes that involved both, uh, the group of athletes and also staff. Uh, and, and it wasn't just an election. We had a number of discussions and kind of, uh, group gatherings talking about leadership, talking about, well, what they might see as somebody who positively influences those around them. What are the, some of those characteristics? What does that sound like? What does that look like? And, and who are some of the people in our gym who embody that the most? Um, 
And then uh, the last year or two, we didn't have a lot of change in that um, just because there was a pretty steady group that we had. But certainly I see um, the potential for a big turnover now, especially uh, Krista and Courtney have retired. And Tama is now coaching for Arizona State for the Sun Devils. And so we'll have uh, plenty of new people joining the program over the next year or two, as is always the case in an Olympic four-year cycle. And so uh, we'll start the process anew. So you've mentioned a couple of times that, you know, everyone is leaders in your culture. Is that, is that something you, you have to like say out loud over and over, like everyone's leaders, or is that just kind of organically, are they aware of that? How do you make sure that, you know, people don't fall, you know, back into a follower mode? Uh, I think uh, it's a, a continuing topic for us uh everybody can think of each of you can probably and i can think of people who were special teammates uh that i got to play with over the course of a of a long career and people who brought out more of the good things in me and um we we have those discussions with our usa players and they and they all have people that really stand out to them as somebody who made them a lot better, who, um, first of all, led uh, themselves well, and then were able to influence each of the players on our team in a really positive way. And so we try to identify some of those characteristics and then uh, uh, give people plenty of chances to um, to, be, I guess, be, be caught doing the right thing. People like Krista, who was with our program for about eight years, uh, Jordan Larson, Faluka Akinradowo, all of those players have a certain stature and credibility. When you step into the USA gym and there's Krista and there's Faluka and there's Jordan, it's kind of intimidating. That's years and years of top international play. Um, residing in each of those players and between them, you know, close to 30 years plus with the USA team. And so that can be, uh, like I said, intimidating. Uh, but over the course of time, um, uh, for example, Krista might have um, worked hard at, at working through some of the discomfort of maybe having some difficult conversations with people in a way to try to influence them to be able to uh, bring out more of the good or or help that player develop to be her best. Faluka in general uh, tended to be pretty quiet and she's gotten um, uh, worked really hard to work through the discomfort of speaking in front of a, a of a group of her teammates. Um, Jordan also tended to lead by example and maybe uh, was really good at taking care of herself first, uh, but she, uh, not in a selfish way, but just like, hey, I got to get my stuff together. Uh, so there are some people who think, well, if, unless I'm playing perfect volleyball and I'm doing everything right, I can't really have an influence on those around me. But that isn't true. Uh, things don't have to be going 
really well for you on a volleyball court to make people around you better. You figure out other ways to do that. And, and so all three of those are just, those are three examples of people who have fought through to get themselves into more uncomfortable situations and find ways to be a positive influence on those around them that they weren't able to do, oh, you know, four years ago, six years ago or more. That's really cool because the next question was going to ask if there are different kinds of leaders and, uh, and if it's dependent on one's personality. But I think you really hit on on those three athletes being completely different leaders. And, and that's cool for probably younger players to know that there isn't just one kind and that you can really develop it. Absolutely. There are people who lead by example. And, um, and so they lead themselves and they show um, others how to be a professional, how to, uh, how to arrive ready to do your job every day, day after day after day, how to get after it in the weight room, uh, and have to, and take care of yourself nutritionally and, uh, watch video and do all the things that you need to do to, to become better for the team. And then there are others who are better communicators and there are others who, for example, are really dialed in with um, maybe how their teammates are feeling. And they're the first ones to notice if somebody has come in, uh, oh, down, maybe uh, somebody broke up with her boyfriend, or maybe somebody had something happen in her family. Um, and there are certain members of our team who notice that far faster than others. And so they all have these skills. And that's why I think everybody has some, has some unique traits that can contribute to the, to raising the overall leadership quotient, uh, in the program. And, um, we're, I tell people all the time, we're really blessed to have such an amazing group of, uh, of powerful, intelligent, dedicated, hardworking, sacrificing, uh, and earnest women. And it's a, it's an honor and a, a privilege to get to work with a group like this. And Karch, how has your view of what makes a good leader changed um, now that you're a coach from what it was when you were a player? I think one of the ways that I led, uh, at least especially when I was with the USA team, I was a pretty forceful personality. Um, I, I, I'm sure you could find plenty of people who would say that I was not always easy to play next to. I was really demanding. Um, I did a lot of screaming and yelling at times. And, uh, and so somebody like Hugh McCutcheon, who coached the men through the, uh, 2008 Olympics where they won a gold medal, he would, he, he, uh, even said on a few occasions, he said, you know, there was, there were a number of boys who grew up watching that and think, okay, that's how you become a great player. You, you sometimes yell and scream and, uh, and you try to, um, with the force of your personality and competitiveness, you try to drive your, your team on. Um, but what they didn't see is how, uh, that's not just something you do in matches, but I guess they saw that, uh, or what they would have seen if they'd have been around our gym for a long time, uh, was just how we were a really good team. We wanted to stay there. And so we held really high standards for ourselves. And, um, and, and, and so I guess now as a coach, I'm trying to, 
um, make this more of a collaboration instead of my personality uh, or competitiveness utterly dominating the situation, kind of sucking the air out of the room. I want to draw a lot of people into that because, again, I'm not on the court. They are. They're the ones who really have to have to take the bus, uh, to have to take the steering wheel and drive the bus, and uh, especially when it comes to, to competing. Just as our coaches, people like um, Al Skates at UCLA and Doug Beal and Marv Dunphy with USA, uh, let us um, develop the ability to, to control a lot of that stuff that goes on on the court. And we had a lot of success doing that. And so I want to facilitate that with our team too. Well, that kind of took me right into my next question was uh, about people you've modeled your leadership style after. And maybe it sounds like some of those coaches. Um, and I guess what characteristics, and if there's anyone you modeled your playing you know, leadership after? Uh, well, for coaches, certainly I mentioned three great ones. Al Skates at UCLA, 50 years there. I can't even, I still can't wrap my head around that one. And that ended, I think, four years ago. 19 NCAA titles. Uh, Doug Beal and his assistant, Bill Neville, what a pair they were in guiding us to our first gold medal in Los Angeles. And then Marv Dunphy took over. And, um, they all had, uh, they're all some of the best coaches who've ever coached in this game. And I think of them all as mentors of mine. Uh, and one of them, Marv, we've had with us the last two Olympic Games. Uh, he was in London and he was uh, just a few weeks ago in, in Rio for the, uh, for the 16 Olympics. And so uh, I think some of the characteristics, they're all different in their way, but one of the things that they would uh, they tended to do was not a lot of screaming and yelling and not a lot of dwelling on things that we can't control, like the last play or something that happened 10 minutes ago or something that happened um, two, two games or two sets ago. But uh, to think um, about how we can control the next play, which is the only one we can really focus on, and in uh, infecting the group with a kind of optimism um, in that uh, we are capable at any point of making something good happen. And so if, uh, so I've tried to emulate some of those things uh, from, as I said, some of the, the great coaches in, uh, of all time in volleyball. Was there a little bit of a, a learning curve with that? Was because um, I'm picturing, you know, you're this maybe powerful force as a player. You have so much success with it. It's like, wouldn't the next step be like, well, well, that's how I have to be as a coach since I was, you know, successful with this personality. Or were you able to to go in that direction, you know, in the more Marv in the moment, you know, calm demeanor right away? Um. That's a good question. I, I mean, you know, you could go in and visit Marv's gym uh, at any time. You'll never hear um, an obscenity from him. You'll rarely ever hear him raise his voice. And people really play hard for him. And, um, and so I had that as a model. That's just one example. Al Skates didn't raise his voice a lot. Doug Beal didn't raise his voice a lot. They figured out ways. And, and Marv uh, also did his doctoral thesis on John Wooden. And, you know, anybody who 
who's done any study of coaching knows of what a legend John Wooden is and, and, and some of his methods that where he was able to influence the people, uh, staff and especially players in, in his team to, to continue to strive to be better, to become better masters of their craft, to, to become learners or to be learners and to keep learning. And so I saw some really effective things from people. And I also know that as a player, uh, I tended not to respond very well to people who yelled and screamed a lot. Not that I had many of those coaches, but if I ever had a little contact with somebody who yelled and screamed and demeaned me if I made a mistake, I just found that I, I kind of recoiled from that. I didn't respond in a way that um, had me excited to to keep getting after it, even if I was falling short. So then, you know, I guess you've been with the national team for eight years. You said you've been coaching for 10 years and you were the head coach for four years. Is there anything that jumps out as, you know, one of the, or some of the biggest challenges as being a leader of your team? Um, I think my biggest learning moments are just when I make assumptions. Uh, here's an early example. Um, the first year I was coaching in 2009, I joined Hughes staff. Uh, Jamie Morrison was a part of that staff, Paula Weisshoff and others. And we were preparing these pretty, these quite detailed scouting reports. And we were talking about things like, well, when the other team's in rotation two, and um, for those who don't follow volleyball as closely, that happens to be the position, uh, at least in our American notation. There's also a European or a non-American one that's completely different than that. But in our American version of that, that would mean that the setter in a typical one-setter 5-1 offense is in, uh, is in middle back in zone six. Um, and so we were, we were given all this information and at some point it just, it, it was about halfway through this tournament we were playing called Grand Prix. We play it every year. You go a week to one city, play three matches, a week to a different city in a different country, and then a week to a third city. And about halfway through the Grand Prix, I realized I'm not sure our players all know what rotation one is and two and three. And so um, we did a little, I, I had just assumed that they all knew that a lot of them were from some of the, you know, the most successful college programs in history, like Penn state and Stanford and Nebraska and so forth. So we did a little testing and found out that a number of people did not know what those were, even though we'd been talking to them for months, like they knew that all along. So it was stunning to me. And it was a, a clear mistake in the sense of making assumptions instead of testing knowledge. And so we asked them, and it wasn't to humiliate anybody. It was just to say, so, okay, so if you don't know that, it, it wasn't really their fault that we hadn't verified that they knew that or that we had taught them. Uh, that uh, taught that right. So they're all really good learners. And so all we did was we just, we kind of went around and worked as a group. All right, well, how do we, and I even learned from this. Uh, I asked a, a middle, all right, so how do you identify rotation one or two or three? And she was looking at things that I wouldn't have looked at because I wasn't a middle when I played. She was looking at the opposing middle. I might look at the opposing opposite or the opposing setter or the opposing outside hitter, where, see where they're standing. And so our players even actually taught me in terms of showing me that there are a number of ways to identify uh, what the other team, what formation they're in. 
And so we worked on it as a group and then we quizzed them and, you know, an hour or two on that and everybody had it down cold uh, where they didn't before. But there was a, a case of making an assumption that was false, that I didn't uh, that I didn't verify. And so a lot of the things we try to do now, I try to verify again, not to catch people uh, not knowing something they should know, but just really um, it's asking to know how well we taught it. Uh, because ultimately, if they're not learning it, we've got to figure out a way to teach them better. It's it's uh, it's on us to influence them properly. And so th those are where my, I make my biggest mistakes are in, is in assumptions like that. Well, thanks for uh, for sharing that. Uh, just hearing that was kind of an aha moment for me. It's, I just wonder how many times I've done that and probably am doing that. So uh, what a great, great lesson to take away. Thanks. Sure. Yeah, that's a that's an easy one for coaches is just to ask. Um, uh, and, it, and it might be I'm not asking you to catch you um, uh, and make you uh, look bad in front of the group. I'm just I'm testing us. When I ask you, I'm testing me. I'm testing my ability to teach or to facilitate your learning. And so I think people appreciate that in that sense but we tend to try to ask a lot of questions and and quiz and see uh and see how the learning is coming along and how it's progressing karch i want to ask about the olympics and uh specifically if you can tell us how leadership played a role in going from a loss in the semifinals to winning the bronze medal match what was that process like well, first of all, the semifinal loss was a, a gut wrencher and a heartbreaker. Um, everybody in our program took it really hard. We had done exactly what we wanted to do. We put ourselves in a position to make history. The only way you can do that at a tournament like that is to be in the semifinals and, um, and to have already beaten the team uh, that you're playing once. And uh, we came up a couple of points short. And, um, and we were in a lot of pain. And so it is not our custom. Uh, it is with lots of teams. I'm not saying it's good or bad. It just, it is what it is. But we tend, I tend to do a little better when we don't meet right after the end of a match. Um, I, I tend to do better reflection on what happened and what went well and what didn't go well if I give it a little time when it's not so raw or it's not so immediate. So when we do our debriefs, we usually wait till the next morning rather than the evening of a match or, uh, or right after a match. We don't have meetings in the locker room afterwards. We just we, we want to let people uh, decompress a little bit and, and have a little space to, um, to reflect. But this was one, we were in too much pain not to have a meeting. And so um, we called a meeting soon after we got back, uh, which again is highly unusual. Um, and just uh, first of all, I guess we as a group, we acknowledged the pain we were in. And then um, it was actually a suggestion of uh, another, another member of our staff, uh, Mike Gervais, who also works with the Loyola program and works with the Seattle Seahawks. He's a high performance psychologist, uh, elite performance sports psych. And he would just say, you know, Karch, one of the ways you can kind of um, help guide, help influence this process, you know, you can think about some of the places that people might be going to. Maybe some people are feeling sorry for themselves or thinking this wasn't the plan that we had devised. 
And you can kind of um, head those off before you get there by just bringing them up one after another. You know, some of you might be thinking, uh, why me? Or why why did this happen? Some of you might be thinking this wasn't the plan. Some of you might be uh, feeling sorry for yourself. So we went through all of those and um, and it was uh, cathartic in a sense. And then probably the most influential things uh, were when players, because we always yield the floor to them and encourage people to share their thoughts. Uh, maybe the most influential or impactful statement of the whole meeting was when our captain, Krista Dietzen, just said, look, you know, um, we are so much more than any one result. And yes, we all wanted a certain result at this tournament, but we're so much more than that. And that's so limiting to all that we've done to make each other better. And all we've done to build a certain culture of learning and, and, um, and helping people around us become the best version of themselves. And I refuse to be limited by any one result. We're bigger than that. We're better than that. And so um, that was really impactful. Uh, a lot of the things that were discussed in that meeting were really impactful. And by the end of the meeting, um, I had no doubts that we were going to come back and have a, uh, a great effort um, a day and a half later. Our match, the semifinal, I think was at 1 p.m. Uh, that day. We got back to the hotel probably around 3.30. We had a meeting at 5.30. And by the end of that meeting at about 6.30, I was feeling like we were on a, on a good course to do something that's very difficult. And then that night, Carrie Walsh, and we were cheering her on, uh, her in April, but she had lost the night before in the semifinals. Uh, and we had also watched that for those of us who had stayed up uh, later. Uh, not all of our players did because they were getting ready for the semifinals. But Carrie had a rough semifinal and had to turn it around in less than 24 hours and play the bronze medal match. And after she did that, because she also works with Mike, and she also is a, um, a great member of USA, she wrote a letter to our team talking about how that might be the toughest thing to do in sports. But ultimately, the fight that we put together um, has led me to feel as proud of this bronze that, I, that we were able to win less than 24 hours ago as any of the gold medals that I won. And that was really impactful also that she took the time to write our team directly about um, the challenge, about the disappointment, and about regrouping. And so you put all those things together and lots of other people made uh, made contributions too. But ultimately, uh, it led to something that we all could be really proud of and uh, as to how hard we fought. Uh, but that is a brutal thing in the Olympics to have – you could have a great tournament and end up like the Russians did on the men's side, end up uh, playing all the way to the semis, losing a couple of matches and coming away with, with no medal. And they fought hard too. And the Netherlands team that we beat in the bronze medal match fought really hard too. So I, I have a new empathy for those teams and how hard they fought also but we were we were proud of what we mounted together and that's uh, a big part of the sweet in the in the bittersweet that we a lot of sweet and some bitter that we come away with from that tournament cards thank you for sharing that it was i know as viewers it was heart-wrenching for us too and just thrilling to watch you guys play so well and take that bronze medal so thanks for sharing that story absolutely We'd like to transition now to you as a player for a few questions. You mentioned yourself being like a forceful personality as a player indoor. 
Were you a different leader on the beach when there was just the two of you and often no coach? Uh, I think I was uh, over the course of time. Um, uh, I think I learned and became better over the course of time. And so by the time I played my last season, I was 46 years old. And I sure hope I knew a lot more at 46 than I did at 36 and knew a lot more at 36 than 26. But I was always uh, looking for ways to bring out the best in um, and, and you get to focus all of your attention. One of the fun things about uh, or maybe a little bit easier thing, even though there's nothing easy about playing high level volleyball, no matter what surface you're playing or however many teammates. But one of the nice things about um playing sand or beach volleyball is you get to focus all of your attention on just your one teammate and how to make that person better. And so I think I got better at that over the course of time, uh, playing later in my career with people like Adam Johnson and then Mike Lambert and uh, Kevin Wong. And I had some uh, really, really enjoyable experiences playing with them. And you also, uh, or I did, as I got older, I became a less physical player. I'm just, you're not, I wasn't, I was not jumping as high and hitting as hard at 46 years old as I was at 26 years old. So I had to figure out other ways to be good, but I wasn't the physical player. So I had to be the more cerebral player and, and um, figure out uh, ways to finesse and not just use brute force to try to, to win the play or get the ball down to the sand. And so all of those things made me better and made me figure out ways to be a, a better teammate and hopefully a better leader. There were uh, a few players in my career that I, I just wasn't, I, I came up short. I, I felt like I didn't have the tools to draw out the best in them. But for the most, um, I, I really enjoyed with playing. Uh, I, I got to play with many of the best players who've ever played uh, beach volleyball. People like Sinjin Smith and Mike Dodd, all the way through to finishing up um, uh, many partners later with uh, with Kevin Wong. And I learned a lot from, from each of them, but I think I got better at bringing out the good in people uh, as I went along when I had to, uh, to think more and um, I guess use subtle things more rather than just being able to rely on jumping really high and hitting hard. So then I guess most of your career, you didn't have a coach in the box and you're, you know, you're thinking, how, how am I going to get my partner better? I'm wondering how you, how you kind of balance that line of being a good teammate, not being a coach, giving feedback. You know, how did you go about getting your teammate better without, you know, coaching them or did you? I guess in a sense I was, um, well, we, we both coached each other, but I guess, um, for example, if I'm playing with somebody like Mike Lambert or Kevin Wong, I've played uh, quite a bit more than each of those guys. Um, and so they would look to me to share some experiences and, and also just try to be a calm voice in the maelstrom of, of competition. I also try, <laughs> tried to, what you typically see out on the beach is 
you see a big guy at the net blocking and a smaller guy, and it always seems like the smaller guy's giving all the feedback to the bigger guy, and the bigger guy's never turning around and saying, "Well, put your arms like this when you're dig," or you know, <laughs> you, you never see it the opposite. But so I tried not to uh, get on my blockers a lot and just. Um, more of catching them doing things right and giving them huge props when they when they made a nice move to create a scoring opportunity or a stuff block but i think they could trust me to to give honest feedback that was meant because we spent a lot of hours together training and prepping for competition that was meant in the in the sense of how do how do we win this next point and I would ask them to, you know, I would get, uh, by the time I got later into my career, I was getting every single serve. And so I was always open to suggestions or feedback on how to be a better offensive player because the load fell completely on me to do the siding out for us. Every team served every ball at me. And so I, uh, my partners knew how hard I worked to be able to endure that. It was often over 300 serves a weekend. And so I had to be prepped for uh, huge physical loads. And they saw me prepping for that. And so they, they knew, again, uh, part of that, as we talked about or I mentioned before, first being able to lead myself. And so they knew I was prepared for that. And, and then they, I would certainly uh, seek or be open to suggestions if I was having trouble uh, navigating around a certain blocker or uh, getting the ball uh, to the sand um, um, somewhere else besides a good defender. Um, I was open to that for sure. Kurt, you uh, you played with a wide range of partner personalities. Did you adjust your style to, to fit a partner or were you kind of trying to be the same Karch with everyone? I think I tried to uh, adjust a little. I probably could have done a better job adjusting than I did. As I mentioned, the first adjustment was just getting older, getting less physical, having to figure, use my mind more and my body less to, to be effective on the court. Uh, but I think there's when you play with a partner and you you can experiment with some ways, and I would do this, uh, like how, uh, one of the things a good teammate does is celebrate the successes of his teammate or her teammate. And so if my partner would make a great play, I would try to celebrate that. And I'd try to try some different ways to celebrate that, to see how, um, see how my partner responded to that and see how excited he got at my excitement for him. And so there are certainly some things you can do to try different reinforcement patterns or, or different ways of giving them props for something really well done and to acknowledge them, um, whether it's a high five or a smile or taking your sunglasses off and looking them straight in the eye. There's, there's lots of little things you can do that can really make somebody feel like they're 10 feet tall and gnarly. And um and and so that's an example, I guess, of, of things that I got better at as I got older. And Karch, you mentioned adjusting your game as you got older. Now, personally, as a player who is probably less explosive now than you were at 46, um, do you have any tips on how you change your defensive strategy to still run down a lot of shots and dig balls? 
First of all, sign up a good blocker. <laughs> if you kind of if your if your guy at the net's not blocking any balls, then uh, that certainly makes defense a lot tougher. But I got to play, as I mentioned, with a couple of very nice ones with somebody like Mike Lambert later on and Kevin Wong. And um, I, yeah, you know what? I tried to I guess uh, add to a range to have a a range of techniques. So some of them were pure read. Uh, The most basic play in in beach volleyball is blocker uh, takes what could be thought of as the line and defender is on the angle, uh, but still has to be ready to chase down the high line shot. And so you have to, I guess I would uh, fool with starting positions, where on the court to start, uh, body positions, um, to find the most leverage to move the most explosively. Um, and, but then there were also some schemes and things where you might fake going one way or take a step to uh, one way and then go another. So there was a, a wide range of reading strategies along with some schemes too of less of a read and just uh, try to trick somebody or lure somebody into, in, into hitting a shot. I don't think there's any hope for you, Billy. Sorry. Dang it. um so so Karch do you do you watch much I know you're probably pretty busy but do you watch much of the current beach uh, FIVB or AVP and if you do what what do you see and do you think there's areas that we should be doing things differently or could be doing things better I wish I could answer that. Uh, I haven't seen enough. The only volley, uh, uh, sand or beach uh, doubles that I've seen recently was Kerry and April's match when they lost in the semis. I saw part of that as I was doing some work prepping for our own semi. And then um, watch Kerry really dig deep. Things weren't going very well for her also in the bronze medal match. They lost the first set, and I think they were down something like 14-10, 14-11 in the second. But she figured out a way and got to a place she probably hadn't been before. Um, but I think the the answer there for Kerry was uh, she even said it. You know, I missed I missed so many passes. I, I just wasn't controlling the the first contact on my side, and eventually she smoothed that out. So, other than that, I can't say that. Uh, oh, I guess the only other match I saw was when Phil and Nick. I saw part of that match, and it was a bizarre match in Rio where the wind came up just minutes or seconds before the quarterfinal. Uh, and they ended up losing in what a lot of people thought was uh, was the final match. But I don't know if there was much to be learned from that because the wind was so fierce during that that it really devolved into a, a kind of a survival thing and just how to get the ball in a reasonably good position. Karch, you mentioned uh, Carrie's kind of struggle in the semi then then fighting through it. Um, if there ever was a time when you kind of fell out in the weeds struggling, was there anything you would do to get back on track during a match? Yes. Uh, I think during a match, it, it in beach volleyball, it's particularly challenging because even when the team has a coach, the coach isn't really allowed to, uh, to talk much, except maybe during a couple of timeouts. But uh, um, I think a good example of what not to do would be years ago, I was playing with Kent Steffes, uh, against Tim Hovland and Mike Dodd, and we were playing in a tournament in Phoenix, and we just kind of got caught up in the moment and 
forgot to call a timeout. And it's a legendary and epic comeback that Havendad had against us. It was a game to seven. We were up six to one, and we lost six straight points on six serves, six reels. This was uh, way before rally scoring. So these were six real points scored. And it was a great lesson in just slowing things down. Uh, we didn't take a timeout. We should have. Uh, and also in um, maybe assuming that we already had it in the bag. And I never assumed that ever after that. But taking a deep breath um, and thinking, all right, am I doing everything I can to, uh, to be effective here was uh, a strategy that I learned uh, through some, some difficult lessons over the course of time, since essentially you and your teammate have to be your own coaches in lots of ways. Uh, Karch, if you were coaching a beach team, what would a practice look like? It would look a lot like a game of volleyball. <laughs> and in fact, essentially when I was my own coach uh, for years after Playing for coaches like Al Skates, Doug Beal, Marv Dunphy, our practices were very game-like. You never had anybody uh, really standing on a table and hitting at us. Uh, you had We got to see live hitters a lot, and we got to um, see the game as we would see it in competition. And then we would just tweak things for maybe um, what the goals were or how the rally started or what the requirements were. But um, things that are a lot more artificial just from what we know about motor learning, um, it's a, a really specific thing. And so we need to have most of our practices look as much like they're going to look in a game as possible. And you'll find a lot of that in the USA gym with the indoor women's team. And you would find that also uh, with any beach team. And how, how would you coach the skills? So I know a lot of people say, you know, when you set indoors, you should, or sorry, when you set on the beach, you should use a lot of legs, but indoors you should, you know, you shouldn't use any legs. Do you think there's variation or are the skills the same? I uh, haven't coached beach enough to, to think about that one. I think what I would do first, um, which is always a good idea, is just to look at some of the best examples that there are out there. Um, some of the best setters who've ever played that I've seen would be uh, people like Randy Stoklos and Phil Dahlhauser and Scott Akatubby and um, learn from their good examples and then maybe compare to uh, to indoor players who tend to hold on to the ball less because they don't have to worry about uh, taking the spin off the ball as uh, since the indoor game is called so much differently than the than the beach game at least if I if I uh, can make the assumption that that's still the case in terms of how they call things but haven't given a lot of thought to a, certainly a skill like forearm passing, I think um, transfers a lot. In fact, I don't go to a lot of beach tournaments now, but if you go, you just see lots of good angles put out and you see lots of people not necessarily taking the ball on their center line, but able to reach to their left, able to reach to their right to form good angles. And then uh, one of the other things I like a lot about beach volleyball is that every time you pass, essentially every time you pass, 
you also hit since there are only two players on your team. That was great training for me growing up um, because for a lot of indoor players, that putting those two skills together is really difficult for them. For years, their training consisted of one or the other, but not both. And when you play beach volleyball, you have to do that over and over thousands and thousands of times. And it just becomes second nature that, oh, well, if I pass, so what? I'm still going to be a great hitter. And that's not the case with a lot of indoor players. That's awesome. Karch, uh, I got a listener question from Carissa in Northern California. She's wondering, what are you currently working on in your coaching toolbox? wonder if that's Carissa Cook. It may or may not be. <laughs> there, there we go. In, um, in my coaching toolbox right now, uh, it's, we have essentially just wrapped up a, a four-year cycle. So, um, I'm doing, uh, we did it as a staff. I'm doing it individually. I'm doing it with each of our players, but we're, I'm, I'm doing some reflection. What did we do well over the last four years? Uh, or what did I do well? And what can I get better at? Uh, what did we do well or I do well uh, in the last competition, the Rio Olympic Games? And what can I get better at? How can I facilitate the development of players to an even greater extent than happened in, than happened in the last four years? So right now it's um, I'm working on developing my reflection skills uh, for a lot of players and for some coaches, uh, me included. It means essentially kind of a, a some journaling. But the easy thing to do is just answer those two questions. Any player can do it after a match, and we often do with USA. Any coach can do it. But what are one or two things that I did well, and what are one or two things that I can get better at? And um, our Players answer those questions all the time, and I'm certainly answering those questions now as uh, as we begin preps for another four-year period. I also have a little extra time to do some reading, and we talked uh, earlier about a leadership book that uh, I resonated a lot to called Turn the Ship Around, and I'm rereading another book that I found as one of the books that most uh, – had an impact on me over the last four years, and that's called Bringing Out the Best in People by Aubrey Daniels. And um, and so that's exactly what we're trying to do as leaders and as coaches uh, or and, and as teachers, because you can think of coaching as a lot about teaching. But um, so uh, those are some of the things, I guess, reflection, try, finding, identifying areas where, where I can get better and rereading a, an impactful book, looking for a couple of uh, other reads to, to add to my to my skill set. That sounds like a good off-season and a, some valuable time. I know uh, another big quad coming up. <laughs> Absolutely. One more question, and then uh, we have a couple quick fires, if you're right with that. Mm-hmm. The last question um, from the player side is, you know, I, I know you had a lot of success, but I'm wondering if there's things you would have done differently I don't know about if regret's the right word, but even even just from like a tactical standpoint, if you would have done any of your, you know, serve differently or play differently, and then also yeah, maybe from the the mental game. I definitely think I could have been um, a more assertive, maybe even aggressive server uh, to force the issue more and create some more scoring opportunities. That was indoors. That was probably the weakest part of my game was serving. 
outdoors, you could probably say that was the same. So I definitely should have put more time into putting opponents on their heels with my serve uh, and figuring out how to do that, whether the wind was uh, to the side, if you're, if we're talking beach volleyball and it sounds like we are, or at my uh, face, which is easiest to be aggressive or even at my back. So, uh, that would be an area where I, if I had to, if I got to go back and do it again, I'd, I'd put more emphasis on how to, uh, to disrupt the other team with my serve. And then I forget there was another part to that question. Oh uh, yeah. I don't know if there's any other regrets from your playing career. Oh, there's, uh, there's tons of them, you know. Why did I swing on this? I still remember the losses stand out a lot more than the wins, and especially the close ones. Why did I swing there when I had match point or tournament point, or why didn't I do this? So those are uh, those are ones that stick out. If I allow my mind to go there, I tend to be forward thinking, and that's the the way I try to direct myself. Cool, encouraged. Yeah, we just have a couple of quick fires. Um, just brief answer. And these pertain, looks like, mostly to beach volleyball. Uh, why the goofy-footed approach in the beach? I was experimenting with that on a, a, as a way to try to hit the line more effectively. And so um, I got to the point where I could choose, before the other team served, I could choose, do I want to hit goofy foot on this, uh, on this attempt or do I want to hit regular? And it turned out to be a little more effective for me hitting only on the left side. If I was playing on the right and I didn't play on the right a lot or more importantly or more frequently, if I dug on the right, I never hit goofy foot. I chose to hit uh, with a regular approach. And so um, I could kind of flip back and forth between, but it started by trying to be a better, be able to hit the line better in days when nobody really blocked. This was so long ago that there, it was just hitting against two people who stayed down. And I was looking for uh, to hit with a tiny bit more range. And then also, I know you adjusted to a wide set to the pin. Um, What was the advantage there? Well, I tended uh, for much of my beach career with um, preferring to just try to keep the game as simple as possible. And so I would try to pass pretty straightforward. And then my partner would know I wanted the ball to travel less distance wise. So rather than pass it way across to one side and my partner set it way across to the other. I tended to try to keep everything in a straight line. So pass forward, set straight up and minimize the the distance the ball had to travel through the air. That also was really effective because sometimes the wind would come up and the less the ball traveled in the air, the less the wind would push it around. Cool. And uh, is it true that you didn't like to check the board to see who your next opponent was in tournaments? It is true. Uh, in fact, I usually didn't. I, I made it a, on Friday nights before we would start the tournament. I would figure out a way to find out what time we played without actually knowing who we played. Uh, I didn't want to. I, I needed to get some sleep and I didn't want to get into a thing where I was already planning out the match and not getting a lot of sleep, knowing about uh, knowing who my opponent would be or who our opponent would be. So, yeah. Um, another thing that people get surprised at is that I, uh, through much of the latter part of my career, I got to a point where I had uh, very few expectations. 
And so I had hopes to win and knew that we were often capable of winning, but I almost never expected to win any given match, whether it was a first round match or the last match of the tournament. I kept my expectations low and my hopes high, and I try to do that with our USA team also. Have the Olympics been good for beach volleyball? I think they have. I think uh, volleyball, uh, beach volleyball, firstly, uh, at first got added to the program in 1996. I think the only thing where people might have a a good debate would be that there have been some rule changes over the years, first going to rally scoring, but also uh, shrinking the court um, about 15 years ago, whether that was uh, a move that ultimately will lead to more tall players or more uh, former indoor players. I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure. The jury may still be out on that. But just from a general standpoint of the awareness of the sport, beach volleyball has become a really popular sport. Uh, Brazil put on a really nice Olympics, both the indoor volleyball and the sand volleyball. We knew it was going to be a big Olympics. And for both of those, because Brazil's so crazy about volleyball. And so um, I, I think it's been great for, for the sport to have both disciplines now being played at a very high level and watched by lots of people. And do you want your indoor players playing beach? Um, I wouldn't mind that at all. Uh, we just don't have much time but what I would love is someday I hope USA can maybe have a unified national team training center and I think it would be great to have um, the indoor teams and all the sand players and teams training in the same place lifting together or in very near proximity and it would be awesome to have sand courts just outside the gym I'd love to spend an hour or two a week out on there but uh, uh but our gym is based in Anaheim, and the closest beach is 20 or 25 minutes away, and we have so many other things to do and so many other uh, parts of our game that we have to work on mentally and physically that we just don't have any any time if we have to go any distance to, to spend some time on the sand. But I think it's really good to for players to get on a softer surface and to play a more all-around version of the sport. Cool. Best player you ever played against? Hmm. Well, indoors, one of the uh, the great players I got to play against was a, a player from the former Soviet Union, um, now Russia, and my buddies, uh, friends like John Hanley and I in high school, we used to look at pictures of him. He was the best middle blocker in the world, Alexander Savin, and um, and so I got the good fortune of playing against him a number of times. Uh, he and I weren't the same age. And so, uh, I got to play against him as I was coming up and he was, uh, in the last few years of his career, but he was, it was certainly a thrill to, to play against him on the beach. Um, I think, uh, a couple of the guys, just when you, look at in terms of the amount of winning they did, uh, especially together. I think the winningest team of all time, but uh, Sinjin and Randy were a great, great team and they brought out the best in everybody um, across the net who was looking to take that team down. And they were, uh, they won over a hundred tournaments together. 
Um, I loved competing against them. I hated losing to them. I lost to them a lot. Uh, it was a lot of learning and some figuring out to try to figure out how to beat them a little more consistently. But that was um, a great challenge and, uh, and lots of fun to face them across the net. All right. Tough one for you here to end it. Uh, favorite partner? How many were there first? Do you know how many? <laughs> a lot. Uh, one of my favorite uh, indoor players to play with um, was Steve Timmons, a great friend, a great teammate, and a great great competitor. And he and I got to play in two Olympic Games together. We got to even go play in Italy together for a couple of years of professional club volleyball. And on the beach, um, I don't know if I can pick just one, but certainly I got a, a nice early start with Sinjin. Um, I got to play with, um, like I said, many of the guys who've, who've been well, some of the greatest to play. Um, Mike Dodd, I loved playing with. I loved playing with Tim Hovland. I only got to play with him a couple of tournaments. And then it got on to uh, uh, Brent Frohoff, Scott Akatubby, uh Ken Steffes, and he and I won a ton together. And then later on, I had a really kind of a rejuvenation playing with Mike Lambert and Kevin Wong. They were they had such great enthusiasm for the game. So uh, I don't know that I could pick one, but I certainly enjoyed playing, sharing the court with each of those guys and a whole lot more. Great. Well, thanks, Karch. I know you mentioned two books, but for our coaches that are listening, are there any other big recommendations for, for coaches to read? Well, let's see. We talked about Turn the Ship Around, uh, Bringing Out the Best in People. Uh, another good read that I uh, enjoyed recently was Make It Stick. And those are, uh, since coaches are in so many ways teachers, Make It Stick is a book about learning and um, ways to facilitate uh, the retrieval, the, the retention and retrieval of information. And so those are, those are three good reads right there. I actually read that that one uh, fairly recently. That's that's a really good one. Thanks uh, so much for your time. What an amazing, I don't know what that was, hour and 10 minutes you spent with us. So much good stuff in there. Thanks so much for uh, all you've done for our sport. We've obviously, uh, a lot of us, a lot of generations of us have looked up to you and as a player first and now as a coach. And we're excited to keep uh, learning from you. So thanks again for your time. Well, thank you guys, and thanks for uh, what you put in to uh, to coach your brains out, and um, you're helping people learn every time you put out a new episode. So uh, I appreciate those because I'm a, uh, I hope to be a lifelong learner, and that's the spirit in which you investigate. So it's great. Thanks. And Karch, I have a quick personal story. I played in your U.S. Open and beach volleyball. You had a co-ed tournament. Um, I might have beat John and his wife at the time, but um, <laughs> barely, barely beat us. Uh, was that in Huntington? That was in Huntington, yes. and it, my now wife Janelle and I won that. And um, I remember that we had it. It was like one of our first dates, and I always wondered if we had gotten like third or something, if it would have worked out. But um, <laughs> I remember I had when we won. I got a, my first picture with her, my first picture with you at the same time. I don't know which one I was more excited about. <laughs> no, it was it was really cool, and I think um, Chad, uh, maybe it was Chad Mowry, his uh, girlfriend at the time had had a really serious accident, and she, I, I think she was able to come back and play in that. So it was uh, neat to see somebody fight through some some difficult adversity to get back to playing. 
And the announcer was mentioning that every time I tried to jump server off the court. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, thanks, Coach. That was fun. Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work. And please remember to subscribe on iTunes. Our show comes out every Thursday. And if you have a minute, it'd mean a lot to us if you wrote a review. Thanks, everybody. Especially you, Karch. Thanks for writing a review in advance. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>